Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Triple R. Now, the Miles Franklin, a $60,000 annual literary award, has long been considered Australia's peak literary award, but it hasn't been without controversy. In the past, the award was heavily criticised for shortlists that really seemed to favour white male authors and far more traditional forms. But in the past few years, things have slowly begun to change uh, with pressure from other prizes, including the Stellar Award, which focuses on women's writing uh, and other prizes and festivals who have really broadened the scope and diversity of the writers they showcase. And this year's Miles Franklin winner, just announced, um, is a really strong example of this shift. Melissa Lukashenko is only the third Indigenous Australian to win the prize in its 60-plus year history, and most of those people really have done so just in the last few years. Uh, and her novel, Too Much Lip, is uh, a no-holds-barred, hold, savagely humorous take on an Indigenous family who absolutely refuse to buckle under in uh, the kind of circumstances that they found themselves. Um, it's really a takedown um, of colonialism and all that entails. Uh, and I really was looking forward to... Uh, catching Melissa Lukashenko. We did manage to. Unfortunately, the line wasn't wonderful, but I have got that interview and I will be playing it for you later in the hour. But first, do you remember Nancy Drew, the eponymous hero of numerous books? In fact, also television series and films. She cracked cases with her mad detecting skills, both helped by the fact that she was a young girl who could slip by unseen, uh, find all the right clues with the occasional bop on the head, red herring or mistaken identity. Well, I certainly do. And so does my next guest, who was an avowed Nancy Drew fan. And while many of us dreamed of becoming Nancy Drew... R.W.R. or Rob McDonald has done the next best thing. His book, The Nancys, is a modern-day adult reimagining of the famous detective stories. Uh, it sees the young Tippy Chan, her uncle Pike and his boyfriend Duncan reopening the old Nancy Drew classics and channeling the hero to discover who is behind Tippy's teacher's grisly murder before the murderer catches up with them. That's all coming up on Backstory. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Now, Nancy Drew, the girl detective, first appeared in 1930, way back then, and her sleuthing hijinks grew so popular the tales ended up spanning generations and generations, with avid readers reaching well into the 2000s with a reimagined Nancy and her adventures, along with the TV series and film adaptations. 
Now, once again, Nancy Drew Fan has um, reimagined the beloved detective series. R.W.R. McDonald or Rob McDonald's The Nancy's is a funny, farcical and more grown-up take on the Nancy Drew books following the young Tippy Chan, her lovably larger-than-life heavy-drinking Uncle Pike and his boyfriend Devon as they stumble into their very own murder mystery. Who killed Tippy's teacher? And as they get closer to the truth, will Tippy and her family be next? Joining me now to chat, chat about all of this is the author known as R.W.R. MacDonald. Rob, welcome to Backstory. Thank you very much, Mel. Thanks for having me. It is such a pleasure uh, for so many reasons. Uh, I, I'm really, you know, I was a kind of detective novel obsessive with the Agatha Christie's um Nancy Drew less so than Trixie Belden I think I own to you off air um who was another similar type of a character yeah Uh, although Nancy Drew I think had the bigger um you know really much better PR let's just say than Trixie (laughs) Um, But a similar sort of thing. I even had – I didn't have a detective gang as uh, your character um, Tippy does. She has the Nancys, um, which is a take on Nancy Drew. I had a spy gang and we spied on um, teenagers doing weird things in the bushes. (laughs) Actually, really uh, things that probably did not want to see. (laughs) Still don't. Um, But I I really want to talk about what made you decide to draw on these books uh, for your your own kind of amazing novel. Yeah, so um, uh, back in 2006, I decided I wanted to try writing a whodunit. um, And the first... um, Uh, I guess the first thing that came on the page was an internal thought from a child investigating a murder. And from there, I went down the rabbit hole trying to work out who, who was this child? Why is she investigating a murder? And how is she able to? Uh, And that's when I realized she had babysitters and these babysitters turned out to be her uncle Pike and his, his new boyfriend, new relationship. Uh, and from there, I was looking at um, okay, what what uh, bonds these um, this group of people, and also where do you get that passion and drive to decide you want to investigate a murder? Besides, you know, just being kind of a creepy spectator, and that's when uh, it was Nancy, and in particular Nancy Drew in the nineteen thirties version. So those versions are problematic. I mean, there are, um, uh, you know. Can, can you say 1930s without having it problematic, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, well, yes, very true, very true. So, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there was issues with racism and uh, classism, uh, which the later versions then uh, took out. Um, but the Nancy Drew in those versions was quite, Wild and particularly even wild for the time, but also very independent. She didn't, you know, she had disdain for the local police. She was just out there doing her thing. Um, and I love that idea of that really free spirit because, you know, I was taking a concept of uh, a child and then these adults helping a child investigate a murder. So it had to be large and it had to be. 
uh, quite big. Uh, and I like that idea of them having a role model within this. And also, as you mentioned, the intergenerational aspect, which Nancy Drew um, provides. I have found since the book's been out, there does seem to be a Team Trixie or Team Nancy <laughs> out there. Damn. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should have some kind of a gang war now between <laughs> us all. All these yeah. book, we'll throw books at each other. <laughs> that could hurt, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll just yeah. use words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so that's how Nancy sort of came about. Also, uh, and then that afforded the the play on the word Nancy's and a bit of a reclamation. I'm a queer man, and um, so I just like that idea of um, you know owning and and reclaiming these words. Uh, and then it also plays into the fact that Tippy's got no idea about Nancy boys or even knows that word. So mm. the fact that they're calling it. The Nancy's goes over her head. And Uncle Pike is is not one to lose an opportunity to point out a double entendre <laughs> no. throughout. He's quite the fan. Um, let, would you like to, just because we've launched straight into the connection mm. um, with Nancy Drew, um, but would you like to paint a picture of the world that you've created in the Nancy's? Yeah, sure. So it is uh, Riverstone, which is uh, homage to River Heights um, from Nancy Drew. So it's a small town in uh, South Otago, New Zealand. Uh, Tippy's growing up there. She's 11 and it's also the small town where her uncle Pike grew up. He escaped the the town when he was a teenager. Uh, as soon as he was, a, he was able to, he um, went to Sydney. Um, so it's a two pub town. It's got a river going through it. It's quite pretty. Uh, although for Uncle Pike, he doesn't see the beauty in it. Shall we say he's. He's avoided it most of his adult life and has quite a bit of baggage, shall we say. So when he comes back to babysit Tippy for two weeks while her mum's on a cruise, um, he's confronted with some of that. There's a lot of that there as well, which I think, um, you know, like it's sort of an interesting book in a sense because it's using some of the techniques that you would associate with young adult fiction and with traditional comfortable crime and also just this vast, you know, wonderfully farcical humour um, to kind of explore actually some really difficult issues. Mm. You know, Tippy's lost her father. Yeah. Um, obviously, Uncle Pike is dealing with, you know, all of the homophobia that, was fo- that you know, he had to cope with growing up in that small town and is yeah. essentially drinking, you know, somewhat, you know, with great <laughs> hilarity um, to, you know, to make it through um, mm. coming back to a place. And, he's, and actually, it's kind of a, it, you know, it explores those things, but also explores how maybe stuff is starting to change even in this small town. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to have the small town um, as a setting. I wanted to have, uh, and whether it's, you know, aspirational, but I wanted the small town to actually have moved on from homophobia. So, and also there's you know racism as well. Oh, I think that Tippy had racism. experienced. Yeah, yeah, there's still racism. There's still misogyny. There's still you know classism. But I wanted this one aspect to have moved on, and for Uncle Pike, for his homophobia to be internalised mm. and him not to actually have dealt with it, but to have to then go in a setting that was homophobic that now has moved on from that, and. 
to view it that way rather than having them, you know, having gay slurs or gay bashing or any of that kind of thing. I wanted that out of the external environment. Also because we're looking at this from Tippy's point of view and Tippy doesn't have a homophobic bone in her body. Yeah. So she doesn't see that anyway. But I thought, wouldn't it be you know, nice to have a setting where that wasn't part of it either? So I was exploring that. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I'm talking to Rob McDonald, Rob McDonald, rather, or R.W.R. McDonald, the author of The Nancys, um, which is a very entertaining new take uh, on the um, old Nancy Drew series um, with a delightful cast of characters. Uh, I There's a few things I, I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, that, that it's from Tippy's perspective, um, yeah. more or less, uh, which actually was there kind of pressure to make this more of a young adult book? Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Because she's only, uh, how old is she? Like she's 11. 11, yeah. So when I was writing it... Um, and it seems odd now, um, but at the time there was uh, people would say, oh, well, you're going to have trouble because it's an adult book, but she's an 11-year-old. And now, you know, we've had so many of those. It's almost a subgenre, right? Yes. You've got the Yellow House, you've got the Van Affel Girls. Um, uh, so, yeah, it seems strange, but at the time, absolutely. And there was people who assumed it was YA because it was an 11-year-old protagonist. Um, but for me, it just it naturally lent itself to being tippy. I did try, you know, I, I played around with uh, maybe if it was Devon or Uncle Pike, but it would be such a different story, and I think it had to be Tippy's story. Yeah, yeah. I think she carries it well, frankly. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that I think in Comfortable Crime, and I think you could fit this in Comfortable mm. Crime, it, it leans over more towards the humour side of the spectrum, but definitely the crime is there and it's very real and yeah. it has very real effects on uh, on the people involved. Yeah. Um, and there is one moment when you can really see the damage that, um, you know, the things that happen, have mm. been happening maybe having on, on Tippy and how, you know, perhaps her uncle um, has found a way of her channelling that in a what at first seems to be a healthier way but may in fact be uh, exposing her to like the real external dangers of a killer um, being out there but comfortable crime as a genre uh, does tend Mm. to always have these outsider uh, detectives it's a it's a real part of it I, I guess the classic's classic being the Miss Marple type in Agatha yep. Christie and their their superhero power is really that they're underestimated. Is that something yes. else that you really kind of delighted in in this book? Yeah, look, I really did um, I really did love that idea of um, uh, I guess children being underestimated, what they can do, uh, what they're capable of. Um, and also, you know, they're in a room, adults are talking, no one's sort of paying much attention to the to the kids if they're playing or whatever. Um, and I also did want to play with the conventions of comfortable crime. Um, I think for what I wanted was, um, you know, there, there's a price to everything and that whole be careful what you wish for 
incomfortable crime, too often it's the really nasty character who dies off early or um, not saying that Miss Everson wasn't <laughs> nasty, but uh, or, you know, someone someone's pushed off a cliff. And I thought, as a reader, we get away with not having to really uh, feel too much. And for me, I thought, no, this is still a murder, yet, you know, we're delighting in this puzzle. So I thought, no, I need to kind of unpack that a bit. And that's why it's such a gruesome murder. It's because, okay, Rita, you want to come on this journey, there's a price to pay. I did, you know, it was really interesting to uh, kind of consider my reaction to that as well, because uh, you are kind of gently lulled into this comfortable crime setting and then the murder is anything but comfortable. Um, But at the same time, it's sort of, you still kind of bring it, you know, there's a nice balance here of all those elements that kind of brings you back into the story. But um, I I mean, it's a bit hard to talk about a book of this nature without giving away some plot points, which Mm. I'm going to try and avoid. Um, But I do want to ask you a little bit about constructing uh, a crime book. Uh, You know, famously, I think Agatha Christie used to design things so that um, she would try to, I think it was the rule of like, you know, more than a certain number of characters meant that you could you would lose track of the threads. Yeah. But but most of the clues are in the first three chapters. Is that yes. in fact true? I'm not saying you know yeah, in the yeah. general sense. Don't give away the, the yeah, kind of. Yeah. No. It. Um, I think there is that convention that you have to. Yeah. The the murderer has to appear in. I'm too, too nervous to say. No, you know, I don't. I don't want you to. I yeah, just. But, I, but yeah, there are. Yes. yes. You di- how so did you within, learn those techniques? Let's just uh, move to safe territory <laughs> so that you're not giving away too much. How um, did you? How did you look, read it, a lot of yeah, the books? It's it's from reading and it's from. Um, but it's also uh, observing story in other forms. So. I guess, uh, Broadchurch, like a television series that is crime and that, you know, does follow a similar formula. And when you look back at it and look back at those first couple of episodes, it's all there. But it just takes a while for us to understand what we've seen and how relevant it is. Um, Is it like working at a puzzle at first? Do you sit down and just write the puzzle? Yeah. And then build the story. See, I wish, yeah, I wish it was like uh, Agatha Christie who sort of formulated it all while she was apparently in the kitchen doing the dishes, according to that, and then wrote it all. I can't. I'm a total pantser. I write the scenes and everything. The first draft, once it's together, that's when I have to look, okay, you know, I've got a whole lot of clues happening on Wednesday, but nothing for a whole week. And then almost reverse engineer it to say okay they've gone here why they've interviewed this this witness what's happening here so for me i have to do it that way i'm not a plotter um which i think for some crime writers you Mm. know and i kind of i wish i was but for me the joy of writing is discovery well it's also an interesting trade-off isn't it because when um when your plot is the main focus of everything then your characters have to sort of almost be glued to the plot Mm. so to get that sort of humanistic element or to get the rounded characters or how do you do that while also having a killer plot (laughs) i mean it's the old 
conundrum. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I it's lo- so essential in a book like this, having well, I, having a plot, but also you want to do something different with the characters. So Yeah, and, and I think the way that I've done it uh, in terms of writing and, and, you know, that whole panzer thing is uh, a lot of the time I was discovering it at the same time or just before the characters or sometimes after the characters. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to give away too much more yeah. about the book itself, um, but it is like a really, um, I guess, like a really interesting world that you've created. There, there's something about writing small towns. <clears throat> I mean, I, like, I'm assuming that this may be something that you've drawn on slightly from your own experiences, but mm. what is it about small towns that we find so genuinely horrifying? <laughs> Uh, I think it's if you're from a small town, uh, the idea that everyone knows you, what's and all. Um, and I think with Pike, it was fun to play with that because you've got nowhere to escape because people have known you since you were a kid. And if you've done something embarrassing or, you know, you can't avoid that, whereas the city gives you some anonymity you can be who you want to be you know that that idea I think that's horrifying um <laughs> but there, I mean it's so interesting that it has become I guess it's really it is small towns are really like gothic it's like a um it's a mm. it's a setting that you know yeah. people are all in together and you know all the characters in it yeah. um and the murder rate is off the charts like yeah, in these places absolutely. so yeah. Is it because you need to feel like you can't escape and there's and the murderer is someone you know and and so it's in a way it's probably truer to life than random crime, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I think the um, yes that that you can get information, so you can whether the information's right or it's gossip or it's wrong. So you've got these witnesses, but everyone's got their own agenda, but they. So if you went door knocking around the neighbourhood in the city, you're not going to get the same response as in a small mm. town. But, I, yeah, I love that idea that it is someone we trust, it's someone we know. I mean, to, yeah. to take a very dark turn with the conversation, I didn't mean it's true to life that there are mm. small towns with, mur- with like, murder... No, 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 pop- no. You know, with murders that, like, vastly outweigh their population or that seems ridiculous. Yeah. But more that a murderer is more likely to be someone you know that mm. than you don't, it's more likely to be someone that you care about. Yeah. Um, this is a horribly true statistic. Um, yeah. And so I guess translating that to these sort of more, um, you know, archly drawn settings is a safe way to explore some really dark stuff yes yeah absolutely um and you know there's also that thing with uh what was a uh, murder she wrote Angela lansbury you know her little town i just felt so sorry for those people well there's a theory that she um top you know yeah, she, she topped them all the just so killer. that's yeah. right so she could like write her books yeah i would watch the hell out of that show <laughs> yeah, totally. for sure that would yeah. be great murder she yeah. wrote and did yeah <laughs> love it yeah well i do have to ask the question that i'm quite sure you will get asked literally all the time mm. um where to next for tippy Sure. So my back in 2006, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this as a novel was I envisioned it as a trilogy. So there is a much larger story at play. Um, so we'll have to see how the Nancy's does. Um, so far, so good. Uh, yeah, so I am actually working on uh, the sequel 
or the middle book of the trilogy. Um, so, yeah, I would love to see that out in the world and I'd love to um, be able to tell Tippy's full story. Yes. Well, please hurry up because <laughs> I, I very much do want to know what happens okay, next. Okay, brilliant. Uh, thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the show and, and best of luck with Tippy and her adventures. Thank you so much, Mel. That was uh, R.W.R. MacDonald, author of The Nancys, which is a hilarious take uh, on the old Nancy Drew detective stories with a, a great cast of sleuths at its heart. You're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Now, the $60,000 Miles Franklin Award has long been... Considered Australia's peak literary award, but in its more than 60-year history, it's come under fire for, from a lack of diversity in its shortlists and winners. That has been somewhat redressed in recent years, but there's still a long way to go. Um, this, year's exa- uh, this year's winner, Melissa Lukashenko, is a very strong example, though, of this shift towards writers who are not only representing groups that have uh, historically not been seen uh, on the prize list or winning the uh, the final gong, but also a work that uh, really unashamedly and quite savagely explores uh, some of the real evils of Australia and uh, colonisation and how that has has really affected disproportionately um, Indigenous people and people of colour. It is a... Um, incredible work and uh, one that uh, Melissa Lukashenko uh, talked about a little bit with me earlier this morning. I'm afraid when I caught her on the line uh, it was a little grainy um, but uh, we did manage to have a conversation about her win uh, and what that means uh, and also a little bit about um, her upcoming appearances at the Melbourne Writers' Festival later this year. So I'm going to play that for you now. This is uh, Melissa Lukashenko. Melissa Lukashenko, welcome to Backstory. Oh, thanks for having me. So how are you feeling about uh, this incredible win? I'm sure that's a question that you've been asked maybe so many times by now. Oh, look, I can't complain, hey. This one's going straight to the pool room. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, now, look, the prize has really been quite heavily criticised in the past, I think, for, you know, having prize lists that, let's just say, had a lot of white and had a lot of male um, on it. Um, in increasing years, there's been a lot more representation, a lot, uh, a lot more to really get your teeth into some really great and interesting books. Your book is really a book that, you know, you know, absolutely takes no punches when it comes to um, colonialism, to um, to people talking about their anger and um, you know and what goes on. But it's also humorous and um, savagely so. How do you sort of feel um, when you kind of look at the sort of sixty plus year history of the Miles Franklin to really be a part of all of that? Oh, well, you got to laugh, really, you know. Miles Franklin got more agile people to carry a piano over the snowy mountains for us. <laughs> and here I am, you know, being the beneficiary. <laughs> I really do want to talk about the success of uh, Too Much Lip. It really has been listed for a lot of prizes and this obviously is, you know, is just absolutely um, a well-deserved peak uh, of its success. Was it unexpected for you to get so much uh, interest in the book? Yeah, well, after Mum and Bimby did well, I thought I didn't trust the success of it. I thought I must have sold out. Um, 
um, like been telling mainstream audiences what they wanted to hear a bit too much. So I thought, OK, I'll, um, I'll write the book that absolutely everyone's got a problem with. <laughs> so, yeah, you could try it as a bit of a shock. It's it's a real it's a really great example of what happens, I guess, uh, when you do just um, take that you know take that risk to just say I'm just going to do what I want to do. Um, well, that might be true, or it might not. We'll never actually know, will we? Because we don't know what risk hasn't paid off to people that I can't complain in this case. You know, and it gives me a voice to to say what are we doing in Australia? You know, what what's the narrative about the underclass? and uh, what's the narrative about why we're throwing people away, chucking people's lives away in prison and on the poverty line. If I can get a, you know, a bit of a, a foothold to start talking about the reality of poor lives and black lives, then so much the better. Absolutely. Um, and look, on that note, I guess, one of the things of, thing about prizes, which, you know, is great uh, in your case that you've, you know, gotten this amazing payday, but, you know, writers uh, struggle uh, to even make a living out of their craft. Uh, you work oh, away on a book a for years. <laughs> Sorry? But writers are a pack of winters. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Nah, um, not a lot of money in it. People think there is, but, you know, it's this is a rare exception. Well, it's just, look, really, you know, uh, basically getting this payday is uh, the result of so many years of hard work. And, you know, how are you feeling about the prize at the moment and where it's going to take you? Well, um, I've had a lot of people texting me and calling me and messaging me this morning. And my favourite one is from the mum of my son in Ipswich, you know, a, um, an underclass girl I used to look after in Eagle Beach many moons ago and she said, Oh Dad saw you on T V and said you'd won some kind of prize. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, so it's when you touch people's lives that um don't otherwise come into contact with uh, you know, this side of literature or this world that that means a lot to me. Yeah, I, I remember hosting a session um and there were a lot of kids uh who had come from really hugely diverse backgrounds and on stage they were rep- you know there were was real representation of people who had come from a diverse uh group of um backgrounds which is not often the case or hasn't historically been the case unfortunately in literature to see those kids respond to seeing someone like them um with a book yeah. uh and that that could be them i i've never seen anything like it they were absolutely mobbing the panel afterwards to ask every question yeah. you know yeah. that's hopefully going to be something that you know, that this prize helps to attract. Yeah, well, it would be nice to think that, um, you know, these young black and people of colour writers that are coming up, you know, especially through places like Western Sydney and Logan and Northern Queensland, um, you know, that they can take something from this. I don't use the word diverse representation, I use the word realistic, because, you know, when I walk around the streets of Brisbane or Logan City or Sydney or Melbourne, you know, it's not like neighbours to me, I see a lot of black and brown and yellow faces and not the the white uh, wash that is on mainstream television. If you've just uh, joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R and Mel Cranenberg, and I'm talking to Melissa Lukashenko, who is uh, the winner of this year's Miles Franklin Award for Too Much Lip, um, an amazing book that really just doesn't pull any punches when it comes to a representation of, uh, you know, of 
the underclass uh, in Australia who really are just showing it how it is. Um, and this is an, uh, an incredible win for you, but I, I'm also really um, keen to talk about, uh, you know, the fact that you're going to actually be... Um, appearing at the Melbourne Writers Festival at a couple of events so people will be able to come and uh, and see you or to hear more from you which I'm sure um, many people are keen to. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up for you at the Writers Festival? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, I'll be talking with um, Dudley Bobo Tony Bertia whose new book The White Girl which uh, is a sensational exploration of the, the assimilation, the, the period of active assimilation and uh, how Aboriginal people, um, some of us, went underground in that era in order to keep our families together. Very interesting book. And, uh, yeah, Tony's always a great raconteur and stage, so he'll be going us. And then uh, doing something with uh, RMIT uh, people through the Rice Project that brings Asian and Australian writers together, Asia-Pacific writers, so... Uh, really interesting too from all over, um, you know, in Singapore, um, Vietnam, uh, Malaysia, Australia, of course. I think, uh, yeah, that, that should be um, a really rich session, hopefully, and both of those are Melbourne Writers Festival it's really interesting because it does um, very much sound like drawing out a lot of the things that you're talking about, about realistic representation, uh, even things like, you know, the the white girl. That kind of speaks to me as coming from a sort of uh, colonial background myself where, you know, a mixed race background where that kind of passing, I guess, if you like, was a big part, a big feature of things. Yeah, yeah and that's had huge implications for people's identities, for people's um, traumas, a sense of belonging, um, and that's reverberated down many generations in a lot of Aboriginal families. So, uh, you know, we've been here for over 100,000 years with our complex uh, philosophies and civilizations. Um, the colonists tried for 200 years to wipe us off the face of the earth, and they failed. But it's going to take a bit more than 200 years to come back to full strength. But we're well on the way. I think... Um I think that's a, an excellent place to leave this, although I do have to say, like, you know, looking at the history of the Miles Franklin, which has been around since 1957, to have uh, only three Indigenous people, um, one of, of whom is you, um, included in the list, um, and most of those just in the last few years, really does drive home the point that we still have a hell of a long way to go. Oh, yeah. No argument there. <laughs> well, Melissa Lukashenko... Congratulations again on your incredible win and thank you so much for joining me on Backstory. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.